Who sets that edge? Is that me or is the environment? If you can't read your customer or your client, you're just not going to be successful. I love to cook and I love to manage people. This is Elizabeth Gearhart. And this is Kenya Gibson. And you've just heard some snippets from our show. Stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm an entrepreneur and I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing. And I am Kenya Gibson, the media maven to Passage to Profit. And Kenya is filling in for Richard. So we have Tel K. Gannison, who was our guest, founder of Kaiba. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's also a philanthropist. I can hardly wait to interview him. Yeah, we also have Susan Asher, who is a corporate speaker and leadership coach, and Chef Roscoe Coleman on the show today. So before we start, normally we would do IP in the news, but I can't do it without my patent attorney, Richard, here. So <laughs> we're going to ask everybody a question. And the question is, what animal do you most identify with? So I'm going to go to Tell first. Tell, which animal are you? <laughs> lion. <laughs> lion. And the why roaring is- lion. <laughs> and why is that? Well, I'm a Leo, so naturally, so I'm a lion. <laughs> Me too, I'm a Leo. I relate to lion in many ways. It has the courage. It has the will to kill in the wildlife, but I have the will to kill in the business world. So that's why it resonates with me. Excellent. Susan, what animal are you? Well, I kind of went with what my mother always called me, and that is a tiger. And part of the reason for that is they're kind of tigers can wear different stripes. I don't know if folks know that, but they can wear different stripes. And I feel like in my realm of business, I have to do that. I have to work with lots of different types of clients. They also say that the tiger, I'm sorry, Tell, is the true king of the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) We have to settle this outside of this uh, show. (laughs) And they also, well, they also, the other last thing is that they, they hunt alone. They usually do it at night, which doesn't really comply with who I am. But I think as an entrepreneur, a lot of the things that you do, you have to have the courage to do them alone. Unless you're lucky enough to have a coach like me and a trusted advisor, you end up doing a lot of things on your own. And that sort of describes who I am. Excellent. What about you, Chef Roscoe? I would consider myself an octopus because my hands are all over the place. I mean, it's almost like I like to do and put my hands on everything, especially here in the shop, in the new cafe that we just opened up. I'm also the president of the Chamber of Commerce here in Irvington. So it's a lot of hands all over the place. So I would consider myself an octopus. Excellent. Kenya? I was going to go with the bull in the china shop because that's sometimes how I'm described. But I would say a peacock. And I know that's probably weird and strange, but I think they're such unique birds and they have this kind of resurrection property to them, right? They're, they're known for being able to just be resilient and, and overcome things. So I would just say peacock. Excellent. Well, mine wasn't seriously related to the business world. I was going to say cat too. I guess we have a lot of cats on the show. <laughs> just because I think I love my creature comforts, but I love to be wild too. (laughs) I love to go out in the grass and and chase little mice. Not literally, (laughs) but um, yeah, I think cats have a lot of qualities that maybe entrepreneurs need, like the ability to work alone and not really care what anybody in the world thinks about them because cats just don't care what we think of them, right? They're going to do whatever they want to do and to heck with everybody else. But excellent. So with that, it is my real pleasure to introduce our guest. We have been waiting
getting to talk to him. Tell Kay Gannison, when we found out about him, we were so excited to have him on the show. He's the founder of Kaiba, Kaiba Innovations, Kaiba Films, Kaiba Fashions. He's a philanthropist, a serial entrepreneur, and we can hardly wait to hear about everything he's doing. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Tal. Tell us a little about yourself. Glad to be on this show, Elizabeth. I'm a serial entrepreneur, as you said. What I try to do is whatever I learn in one business or one industry, I take them and then I apply into a new industry that I never been before. And I keep doing it over and over. I'm in a journey of finding where my edge really is. And who sets that edge? Is that me? or is the environment, and I keep going. And so far, I have not fallen off the cliff, so I keep going. And that is my journey. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. So I would just like to know, like, what is the hardest thing that you think an entrepreneur has to do? The hardest thing an entrepreneur has to do, Elizabeth, is really finding the market fit. Whatever they are producing, whatever they are servicing, is there a need in the marketplace? And whether or not an entrepreneur is able to fit that need, either in terms of quality or in terms of the price point or in terms of the service, I think if they figure that out, then rest is history. I think that to me, it is the hardest part. I agree. I mean, if you don't have a market there, you don't really have anything, no matter how great it is, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that serial entrepreneur is an art in itself. So so can you just describe how you've been able to juggle all these different facets of entrepreneurship? Kenya, the way I look at it, I try to keep everything very simple. It's almost like if you have a foundation, if you have a blueprint, then pretty much you can take that and apply in various industries because end of the day, it's about having the right structure. It's having the right process right discipline, I call them SPD, along with the people and the right technology, you should be able to do anything. So that's what I've been doing. Initially, I was very hesitant, but it became fun. So that's where I get a natural high. I don't do drugs, but I do get some natural high (laughs) by getting into areas where I have no idea and I go in there and then I apply. And then I find more often than not, I find there are always gaps in any industry that I go because sometimes people don't follow those basic uh, laws of business. And that's what I keen on. And obviously I have to understand the market well, and then I keep growing. So that's what I've been doing lately. That's been my process of pursuing serial entrepreneurship. Well, I find it really interesting that you started out in IT and grew and then went into films and fashion. So that like seems really far from IT. How did you get there? (laughs) Uh, So Elizabeth, I think it, it looks like if I had to go back and analyze myself, Every 10 years, I seem to get bored in doing this, you know, any one thing. I mean, before that, I was in corporate life working for a major Fortune 500 company. And then I got out and then started this entrepreneurship after 10 years or so. Everything pretty much became the same. It's the same problem, same thing. You know, instead of 700 employees, I can take them to 7,000, but there is no thrill. As we talked about line, it's always the thrill is in the chase and it's not after you accomplished. So then I said, okay, time to step down from that company. And then I wanted to pursue other things and passion for films that was seen a long time ago, 30, 40 years ago, uh, when I was growing up a kid in India, it got manifested at the time. And then I just pursued it. It's, it's, it's an accident. It was not like a a well thought out business plan or anything. Then I, once I got in, I started cutting teeth into it. One thing led to another. And here I am now on the sixth film. And so same thing with the fashion. So once I'm in the film, it's all about celebrities. It's all about influencers. 
And so whether you do film or fashion or anything else, it's all the same, but it just, you know, you do different things. And I know I kind of make it simplistic, but you know, what I learned in the bigger corporation like Chrysler and what I did in my own journey, then I apply in these industries. And to me, it is the same. Yeah. I read that you employed um, over 900 successful talent. So how do you employ that many people and make it successful? It's just simple. If you know how to do five people, then you keep repeating the same thing. And five, you go to 25 and from 25, you go to 100. And if you don't have those basics, right, then you cannot scale. And that's what I was doing. And that's why I always believe in being very simple. And if you can prove it out, I mean, for any business, you got to do a pilot, you got to test it out and make sure it works and make sure is this is what the market needs. And then you keep repeating it over and over and over. And after a while, it's more repetition. Of course, to grow initially, you know, I loved repetition. But after 10 years, I don't like repetition in that business anymore. So I have to do something else so I can start repeating something else again in a, in a different industry. So it's interesting that you say it came from corporate because Richard and I both came from corporate and, you know, corporate is its own entity, but there are a lot of good lessons to be learned there that yes. you can carry forward. So what do you think was one of the more important lessons you learned from corporate? Obviously, with a bigger corporation, you have a huge infrastructure. You have so many people working on so many things. So they have a very well-oiled machine in terms of structure and process that bigger companies can afford to have, whereas the smaller companies cannot afford to have that kind of a process. So I learned that from them. And second, all day long, they do a lot of presentations, more than actually working on the product. <laughs> you became a presentation <laughs> guru over there. So I learned how to present from a major corporation because uh, that's what they're good at. Whereas in a smaller companies, you cannot afford to present because you have to perform. Can you imagine uh, Chef Roscoe going and doing presentation all day long? Who's going to cook the food? You know what I mean? So these bigger corporations offer those benefits, and that's what I benefited from them. And then with the big corporate thinking, and then, of course, five-year plan, 10-year plan, I don't need all of them for my companies because of the size that I'm in. But that sort of a thinking and having those tools in the toolbox allowed me to do certain things that are good for the businesses and not do those things that are not that are so detrimental for a small to medium sized companies. Yeah, I think one thing I learned was processes, figuring out what your processes are and recording them. And then that way, if somebody leaves, you at least have the way you were doing yes. things for someone to step in, right? Yes. But I'm just curious from a business owner standpoint too, how did you handle the HR issues? Because HR seems to be a challenge for a lot of businesses, hiring the right people. Most of the time, people stay with the company where they like the company in terms of its culture. So I was trying to instill the right culture. That's why we were one of the cool place to work, uh, mm -hmm. according to Cranes. And so one other thing, we have core values. We have five, six core values. We have value as itself as a core value, empowerment, excellence, passion. And the last one is happiness. I came up with a very simple philosophy saying, look, if you're not happy at Kaiba, go somewhere else and become wherever you become happy. So I want you to be happy coming into Kaiba. I want you to go home, leaving Kaiba happy. And if you can't do that, this is not the right place for you because life is too short. Don't waste your time and don't come here just for paycheck and do things that you really love. That's what we are in the business of doing. And this is not a major corporation. This is not like, you know, Fortune 500 where you could, you know, hide and not do anything. And here, as everybody has to perform and they have to perform almost like five times, 10 times than what you do in a major corporation, because that's how 
in an entrepreneurial company, you can survive and you can really, really contribute. So I instilled those things and people who bought into it, they stayed and they performed. I love that as a principle. And I'm hoping you can share with some of the other business owners that are out there. Like, how do you keep people innovative and motivated to just keep going? Because I feel like sometimes as an employee, you can reach a certain threshold and like it's challenging as the employer to keep people passionate about what they're doing. So you ask this very simple question to them, uh, Kenya, what keeps them going? Instead of trying to impose on what you want them to do, ask them what, what they wanted to do. What are the key strengths that they have that they would like to utilize? And if they can't answer those questions, then obviously you're talking to the wrong person. And so you have those kind of open conversations you know, when we started, we used to do all this formal appraisal process, you know, people fill out, you know, forms, they come review. I mean, those become a bureaucracy. We didn't even actually make any real tangible impact, but having the real conversation, asking real questions that matters to them, we were able to move the needle and we were able to identify real issues with them. Otherwise, it's just a standard paperwork. People treat it as a paperwork and it has no, no impact on your business at all. And that's what I start doing these days is to really have real conversation. Hey, what do you really want to do? Do you really enjoy working here? What is stopping you from going to the next level? And if somebody is not in that role, as you asked, you know, put them into a different role. Maybe they plateaued in the current position. Maybe somebody was in operations. They don't like operations anymore. Move them to HR, you know, keep rotating them. And if they don't, then rotate to some other company. Right. <laughs> that part. Exactly. So, so I got I to ask you, Chow, like, I don't think people consider me very hip or cool or anything. But oh, yes, you are. But, so how did you get your company to be a cool place to work? Like, how did you get that reputation? That is awesome. It's about trying to be in line with the trends and trying to be in line with the industry and the society is a general going on, right? Like, you know, we stopped from all those formal things that we used to do before. I remember, you know, when I started at Chrysler, every day we had to wear a tie. And then that became, okay, don't wear a tie on Monday and Friday. Okay. And from there, oh, now all days are casual. From that, you know, as you can see, things have kept on evolving. So now what we try to do, we also try to incorporate a lot of activities for them, a lot of holiday parties, picnic. And then even, you know, happy hour, we even allowed beer on a Friday so people can do all that. As a small company, we were trying to do whatever the Googles, the Facebook, and we tried to see what the people on the West Coast are doing and the East Coast are doing and try to make it more cool. And so we tried to bring it into our company, into our culture. It's more like a work life and fun balance, if you will. Excellent. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll have to try that with my company. <laughs> See if I can get it to work. Did you ever bring in a stand-up comedian or anything? We tried to bring yoga people, meditation people, stand-up comedian, all kinds of people to keep the people going. And one thing I ask is, hey, don't get over drunk. And I don't want anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a liability. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so don't get into all those situations. But other than that, you know, if you are responsible, we want to give you as much as freedom you want. And so that seemed to work, Elizabeth, as you can see, you know, it keeps changing. So what we are trying to figure out, what is actually changing in the marketplace and try to stay in tune with that and try to be cool, you know, because the good old HR practices of the industrial era is over, is long gone. And we cannot repeat those practices anymore. And now with the pandemic and from the work from home, 
again, it got a complete reboot, if you will. So we have to come up with uh, different practices post-pandemic. So you have to be even more cool than what we were doing before. It's a challenge. It's an ongoing process, but we keep reinventing ourselves. Do you let your employees work from home now? Yes. Yes. It's hard to get them all five days. They are not that fired up like they used to be. And so, so we give them two days uh, and three days they come to work. And we try to do, you know, some more social hours. We bring in food. We bring, so we, we it's almost like romancing them to come to work. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Psychologically, as an employer, do you think that shift back to like a five day work week in the office will ever return? I think it should return, Kenya, because uh, what we have, unless for some other industries, you know, ours requires a lot of touch point. You know, we especially with the sales, marketing, the business is done in the golf course, is done in the restaurants, is done in the bar. It's just like meeting people face to face. You cannot form real relationship, you know, talking on the Zoom. I mean, here, you know, we are talking, but nothing like meeting a person right. and understanding the body language and, and understand what they really mean. Because mm-hmm. most of the things come from the body language. And so for me personally, uh, that is detrimental to the business. If you really want to grow the business, we got to do those things that really gets you the the results that you're looking for. If you are a software coder, you're a tester, office person that doesn't require those customer facing, then yeah, you can go behind the, you know, go work from home and you can make it happen. So I would say on job functions that require touch point, it is being impacted. Others, we have come up with a way to manage. But I guess my answer is that it has to be a balance of both. And I think we are working hard and striving hard to strike that balance post-pandemic. And we have not gotten there yet. I know Mm -hmm. it's a challenge, isn't it? So some people want to be in an office, some don't. But I want to shift gears a little bit and just say, what do you think was the most important thing for you to be able to grow your companies? I know you said doing the same thing over and over again, but is there some like magic formula to be able to grow something? Yeah, yeah. we were going organically, uh, Elizabeth, to a certain extent. Then we also added inorganic growth by doing some mergers and acquisitions. So along the way, we bought three or four companies and grew the company inorganically. That's why we were able to grow in a short amount of time by deploying those M&A acquisitions. And we, I think we have done over four in the last, uh, I would say, uh, 10 to 15 years. Yes. Well, I heard a comedian once say, yeah, they say it takes money to make money, but where does the first money come from? <laughs> so how did you get the money that you needed to do the acquisitions? Uh, I mean, obviously I don't encourage stealing, but uh, short of stealing, <laughs> you do everything that you can. It's almost like buying a home. If you have built a home equity in your home, you can take that and do something else like a home improvement. Same thing in the business. If you have enough equity in your business, take that equity as a down payment, talk to the bank and get some participation from a bank or any lender and talk to the seller who are motivated sellers who wants to sell, ask them to carry some piece of paper for some time and you combine all of them and put them together and now you have a deal. And so you keep looking for those kind of deals and in people's life circumstances change all the time because people are not going to be in the business all the time. So some people want to retire. Some people have health issues. Some people are not able to manage their finances well. So for so many reasons, so many companies start and so many companies wind down. And so you try to find the right company and you bolt on to it and you keep doing it over and over. Uh, And if you can do one acquisition, I'm sure you can do many. 
So what do you actually buy? Do you buy the team that's doing the work? Do you buy the customers? Do you buy the IP, intellectual property? I mean, when you do an acquisition, what are you buying? I buy all of them. Sometimes it could be a stock purchase. We buy everything as is, including the people. So I used to even jokingly say some of the companies, only thing we didn't buy is the owners. We bought everything else. <laughs> and sometimes we only do uh, an acquisition. So then we cherry pick the assets because, you know, we have different implications. Some, you know, if they have some lot of losses sitting in there. You can take advantage of those losses for your tax treatment, if you will. And then in terms of an IP that they may not be able to leverage the IP, but you can based on the synergies. Uh, and sometimes they could be in a different geography that you don't have a footprint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are so many uh, ways to do it. Sometimes you like the team. Sometimes you don't want the team. Then you say, hey, give me just the customers. I have nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your people. Uh, you just keep your culture because your culture did not work. That's why you are selling it to me. You come up with all kinds of possibilities and you do the best. It's end of the day, it's about the synergies, right? So mm -hmm. what are you trying to get? And what are you trying to do with those assets that you purchase? And what would the combined operation look like? And can you add more value than what they were doing on their own? If the answer is yes to all those questions, then you proceed with your acquisition. Very interesting. So in all the years of your entrepreneurship and all the companies that you've managed and acquisitions, what has been the greatest challenge that you face and what did you learn from that? In terms of the acquisition, what I learned, Kenya, is that really the culture, cultural clash. So the companies that you buy, let's say some people, they've been working there for 15 to 20 years. They are used to doing certain things a certain way. And then you come into our culture, it's, it's more very entrepreneurial. It's a cool company. And if somebody is coming from a very regimented, you know, blinders on kind of a culture, mm -hmm. and it's hard for them to assimilate into our culture. For example, in their culture, they may have five different approvals to buy a gem clip. And we don't encourage such things in our company because we want people to be empowered mm -hmm. and we want them to make decisions and they get stuck. And when they get stuck, it affects the combined company. And so... I found more than anything else, we can, it's not about money, it's not about customers, because if the culture is not working right, then we cannot maximize those synergies. And I find that to be the single most impediment post-merger and post-acquisition. And then we work hard with those people. Sometimes we cannot change them because they're all hard set like a concrete. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter what I do, nothing moves. So we have to part ways with uh, some people. And so that's what I learned. And so now having learned that, now we try to make sure that we even interview them and see there is a cultural fit. So, so the answer to your question, culture, culture, culture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because every company does have a culture and I love your approach of empowering people. Tell Kay Gannison, founder of Kaiba. He's a serial entrepreneur. Listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Elizabeth Gearhart and Kenya Gibson standing in for Richard Gearhart. And we will be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most 
most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I am Kenya Gibson filling in for Richard Gearhart. We've been having a wonderful conversation with Tel Gannison, founder of Kiba. Am I saying that right, Tel? Kaiba. Kaiba. Thank you for correcting me. So we've been having a wonderful dialogue just about everything that you've been doing in the entrepreneurial space. And we were talking about everything that you're doing in the world of philanthropy. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I have a foundation called Kaiba Kids Foundation, which uh, I'm very passionate about. And then obviously, you know, because of the pandemic, everything is on hold. We didn't do a whole lot of activities, but plan to get going. What I try to focus on is on the kids. And I focus both locally here, Detroit, Michigan, as well as in India. So I try to give back to the place that created me and also to the place that made me who I am. Let me start off with Detroit. I'm only about 20 miles away from Detroit, but we have a lot of issues in terms of kids not able to get the right kind of education. For example, 50% of the people living in Detroit cannot read or write. And that is a huge problem in one of the, you know, it is the richest country on the planet Earth. And yet we have numbers that are much worse than a third world country. Mm. And uh, 75% of the kids are with a single mom or a parent. And together they create a significant problems. And so by not having the ability to read or write, it puts them on the wrong side of the law and they are caught in a vicious cycle. So what I was trying to do is let's go back to the basics. How do we help them read and write? At Kaiba, we created a program, you know, working with other organizations and help the reading and writing and even have mentors and talking with those kids, all they are looking for in their life, not even real parents, they are looking for some responsible adult in their life. And that's all they're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And lack of which puts them on the wrong side of the law. And how do I know that? Even all of our prison systems are designed based on, you know, what's the percentage of population that can read or write in that community. So that's what I was doing my own part to help them read or write. And then once we get through that, we were focusing on the high school students, helping them on the entrepreneurship. I created a youth entrepreneurship program and I was part of an organization called Thai. And the idea there is to help them become entrepreneurs and make sure that they stay away from the drugs, stay away from the streets and help them start some small businesses in the community that they live in. So that's what I was focusing on. And the reason for doing that is, you know, I can go to the suburb and do all kinds of things, but I really wanted to make an impact. One, you know, I want those kids to be out of those vicious cycle and go into a virtuous cycle. And second, reduce the crime rate. And third, help them have a livelihood because education is so key and we need to start at a very basic level, improve the literacy and help them on, you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and then also help on the entrepreneurship. 
And then on the India side, helping mostly on the, the girls uh, who were orphaned. And so they come to this uh, in orphanage and we put them through all the programs. And then what happens is after graduating from high school, they let them go because they're not doing anything beyond that. And they go back to wherever they came from and they get abused and all the efforts that you put in for the 12 years goes down the drain. Hmm. So what I did was I created a program similar to what I outlined here since, you know, I'm into, you know, technology, education, IT. So we said, okay, let's create a program, give them a communication tool, give them some word processing skills, give them some accounting skills and get them partnered with the university and create a program. And then upon graduation, give them some internship with the local companies who want to participate in this program. So I created this whole program by buying computers, hiring all the trainers, if you will, and start training them, I'd say, junior and senior years of their high school. And then really upon graduation, instead of letting them out, now they have a job and now their livelihood has changed. Not only their livelihood has changed, but the livelihood of generations to come is also changed because a female getting educated is more powerful than anything else because it's not about that female, it's about their entire family. And so those are the two areas that I do philanthropy or charity activities. Well, that's very important. And my mother always said education was the most important thing that you could have. I just think that's wonderful, you know, and IT, teaching them how to code and program, I mean, that's going to be around for a long time. And yes. It'll be different iterations of it, of course, but they'll be able to learn the new stuff based on what they already know. Of all the fields to pick to teach them, I think that's like the best thing you could do, right? Yes. My philosophy is very simple. I don't like to keep giving them fish every day because I can't and I won't be there for a long time to do that. But if I could impart those education and the tools, and if they know how to fish, they will fish all day long for the rest of the life. And you are leaving a massive footprint behind by touching so many people. Some people you may not even know, but your life continues to live beyond your physical and biological existence. It does. And the generational wealth piece of this is extremely important. And I think that there are a lot of families in the U.S. that don't have that generational wealth. And I'm just shocked, honestly, that 50% of people in Detroit can't read and write. And that's something I just so take for granted. And what a disadvantage that puts a person at. Yes, yes. It's just wonderful what you're doing with that. So are there ways that other people could help? I mean, do you have a foundation? I have a Kaiba Kids Foundation. That's the foundation that I have. And like I said, you know, because of all the pandemic, you know, we didn't have a lot of activity. But now that, you know, we can do a lot of events and a lot of outreach. I mean, we couldn't even leave the home, right, Elizabeth? So how could you go and do these activities and so now we have to come back and start putting those activities back into the game. So I do have a foundation already in place. It's been in place for a long time. Yes. And one thing I wanted to just say quickly about one of the goals and the initiative for Passage to Profit, that was one of the reasons why the show has evolved is that it's really a similar platform. And the goal is to create access to get folks who may not have ever had the opportunity to get in front of folks listening on the other side of the radio in front of resources. So you never know who's listening from an investor standpoint. You never know who's listening to the show, who hears your idea, who hears your vision and wants to come and support your goals. So we share similar synergies in terms of you equipping people with information and giving access. And we want to make sure on the passage to profit side that we're also creating access to opportunities for people. Wonderful. What is your website? How do you spell Kaiba? Kaiba, K-Y-Y-B-A.com. 
And my personal website is tellkganesan.com, T-E-L-K-G-A-N-E-S-A-N.com. Excellent. Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Elizabeth Gearhart, Kenya Gibson, and our special guest today, Tell Gannison. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years. Hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world. QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me. Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Kenya Gibson sitting in for Richard Gearhart, Elizabeth Gearhart, and our special guest, Tel Gannison. Now we are on to the part of our show where Kenya talks about Power Move. Yes. So for Power Move today, this is actually hot off the press. Ireland Baldwin, who is the daughter of Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. I didn't even know they had a kid together, to be honest with you. (laughs) She recently solidified a partnership with Dutch Brothers Coffee via Clubhouse Media Group. So they're going to be partnering with her as an influencer and to help take their brand to the next level. And, you know, it's a growing brand. So they're excited to line with her. And I thought it was a great power move because I love to see women level up and align with brands that make sense for them and grow their own personal brand in the process. So if you want to read more about that, you can go to Yahoo Business and read up on that deal and partnership that just took place. That's awesome. And she did it through Clubhouse. Clubhouse hasn't even been around that long. That's pretty cool. That's a total audio platform. Yep. Very interesting. And they have a whole, I guess, other media arm that manages influencers, which I had no idea they did. Well, good for her. Interesting. So I'll move on to Fireside, my startup. It's a video directory of small businesses online. And I've been working on it for a while and interviewing people. And right now I'm having my website redone. I just used a theme that already existed for my website. So it was like a square peg and a round hole kind of, but I was able to do proof of concept, at least for the business owners who want to be on the site. And so now I'm doing a new website, which is going to be vastly improved and actually going to fit what I'm doing. And I've had more ideas, of course. And as I said last time, I drafted a provisional patent application for this. So I'm adding to my patent application before I make it into a utility application, which you have to do a year after you file the provisional application. And so in September, I have to file the utility application with all my updated ideas. So I'm working on that too. Very exciting. Very exciting, Elizabeth. Wonderful, wonderful. So super excited having Susan Asher join us now in the Passage to Profit conversation. Susan is a corporate speaker and leadership coach and has a really cool name of a book called Dude, Seriously, It's Not All About You. So we want to welcome you to (laughs) Passage to Profit. Don't forget the other book, Dude, seriously, get your ask in gear. There you go. It's all about leadership. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kenya. Thanks. So. It's nice to meet you too. Yeah, so, so tell us about yourself. I started as a recruiter, started my own firm at 28. I was a serial entrepreneur too, like Tell, but in the employment field. 
and morphed my business from a contingency to a search firm to an interim executive search firm. And that was all well and wonderful. And I loved it and was passionate about it. And one day, ageism came in, commoditization of the business. And I just didn't love it anymore. And I woke up and I said, I can't do this. And I ended up selling my business, which was great. And I spent the next year working with an executive coach to help me transition because I honestly had no idea what I was going to be doing next. And ta-da, I essentially became a coach because that's what I had been doing for all of those years with the people that we placed and that we introduced to companies, et cetera, et cetera. And from there, I wrote my first book and then my second book. And while I started as a career coach, I really have done a lot of work with executives on the leadership side, on the communication side. And what's really coming into focus today to make executives successful is the idea of this emotional intelligence. You know, it's great if you're smart. It's great if you're the first in your class. You know, it's great if you're the best accountant, lawyer, whatever. But if you can't connect with people, if you can't empathize with people, if you can't read your customer or your client, you're just not going to be successful. And there's a lot of emphasis being put on that in the leadership realm today. It's not just promoting someone because they were the best IT guy or the best finance gal. It's because they really know how to lead the charge and engage people and get them together as a team to get stuff done. I love what I do now because I see the difference again. It's just so much fun really watching an executive metamorphosize from where they were to where they can go. Quick story on that. I found out from the CEO of the company that the investors were looking at this company and this guy started to make a pitch and he got angry at one of the investors. He had a fight with the investor and the investor basically told the CEO to fire the guy. Hmm. The guy had to come crawling back and apologize. And the CEO and the investor said and agreed if he didn't get a coach to fix his anger, his lack of communication, his empathy, his ability to get things done as a human being and not just with the numbers, that they were going to fire him. It was put on a one-year notice. I worked with him through that year. The change is amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. And he's now the COO of the company. And a lot of people have a blind spot with that. They think they don't need help. They think they know it all. They don't need a trusted advisor. And I'm not talking about someone that you work with. I'm talking about somebody who's completely objective. And I always use the example of a parent asking their child to do something and the child, you know, won't do it. Suddenly an aunt or a grandmother or an uncle comes in and asks them to do it. And it's like, oh, no big deal. Okay, I'll do it. And it's kind of the same thing in coaching. I'm sorry, I love HR, but they're not the guys and the women to do it because you can't have the trust because their paycheck gets signed by the CEO. So if you are telling them something that you really need help with, or you've done, or you think you're doing wrong, it's not going to be private. But I think what we really talk about with emotional intelligence is improving someone's self-awareness, improving their communication, even how people communicate on emails and how they present themselves. It's not just sending back an email. It's like, thank you, Kenya, using the person's name, using spell check. That's the difference between leaders and people who are just slugging along. Susan, that's what we used to call manners, right? <laughs> yes. And also in my book, I talk about charm, right? Mm -hmm. Charm is the ability to make that person feel like they're the greatest thing in the room. Mm -hmm. They're the greatest thing, not you're the greatest thing. It's not about you. It's about them. It's all about them. We've kind of lost our way with that, but I really see it in emails. You know, it takes two minutes to say, good morning, Elizabeth. I hope you had a nice week. Again, just to check up, are we starting at 1045? I mean, that's all it takes. 
that's the differentiator between someone who actually has that emotional ability to make people feel important and the person who's just so busy with what they're doing, dude, it's not all about you, that they can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Um, And then exercise better control over our emotions. You know, there are times that we just get very frazzled, but we have to pull ourselves together and think about what does that look like? What are the repercussions of that? And is that really setting an example for my team? You had said that there were five main points. What is one of the points that you bring up about EQ? Self-awareness. How do you walk into a room? Because this is all your brand. If you're self-aware of how you show up and what you look like, and we call that the executive presence, how you are aware of yourself that you are thinking of other people and what does it look like to other people? Do you think that empathy is an innate trait or that it can be learned or both? I'm going to tell you that I had to learn it and I'll tell you how. I would come into the office and it wasn't that I didn't love my staff. I did, but I was always busy doing the next thing, the next show, the next this, the next that. And I would walk in and I would say good morning to everybody. But back in the day, they were all watching Sex in the City. At work? The night before. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they would come in on, they would <laughs> okay. come in, whatever, I think it was on Monday night, they would come in and they would all be talking about it, which was great and everything. But I never stopped to say, how was it? Or what was the point about it? Or how was your kid's soccer game last night? But I changed that. And by the way, this coach that I used during my transitional coaching was different than the coaches that I had. And I knew, I saw that I had that blind spot. And one day I just realized it. And it just was little things like, hey, Kenya, is your husband better? Elizabeth, how are your kids doing? How was your trip? Not that we want to get overly personal, right? But we do want to show people that we do care about them. So I have to say that I had to learn that because when I was very young in my late 20s and early 30s, and I started to run a company, I think I was so busy with the bottom line and making sure that this was right and that the clients were happy. It wasn't that I wasn't making my people happy, but I think that I could have shown a little more empathy. And once I realized that, now it's Mm -hmm. just second nature. By the way, there are other people who are too involved with the water cooler conversation. (laughs) Right. Right. So Susan, what is your website? Susan Asher, S-U-S-A-N-A-S-C-H-E-R.com. SusanAsher.com, like my name. Well, that was a lot of great information. Thank you, Susan. My pleasure. I saved Chef Roscoe for the last because I wanted him to come on right before lunch because talking to him makes me very hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth, you should have had this in person so he could have put a spread out. I I would and I would have made everything. Yes. Chef Roscoe Coleman, tell us all about what you do. I am same thing, entrepreneur. I love being an entrepreneur. I, I started off in my garage. I used to work in uh, corporate cafeterias. And then from there, I managed two restaurants in one in Cedar Grove and one in Montclair. I love to cook and I love to manage people. And my start was in corporate cafeterias. I used to work in construction with my brother. I hated that. I was one of the only guys on my block that had a car. And I uh, was one of the guys, the fellas on the block, and they all wanted to drive to work without their mom. So I had a car. I said, I would take you guys. And I got a job as a cashier in a corporate cafeteria. That's what my start was. And I met the chef and the chef was the man. And I said, I want to be the man. So I wanted to learn a bunch of uh, recipes and techniques and things like that. And so I was in managing corporate cafeterias for years. Then I ran two restaurants. One was in Cedar Grove called Shoebox Cafe. It's not there anymore. And the other restaurant was called 
And that still place is still there called Just Jake's in Montclair. So after me working and I was doing catering on the side, just having fun with it. The owners of the restaurant, Just Jake's, wanted me to do something ridiculous. And I said, okay, enough of this. I'm going to start my own catering company. And I started in 2008 and I opened up, I put a kitchen in my garage and I started from there. And the first two years was terrible, but we started to grow and we started to get some attention. And so we had to come out of the garage and we bought our brick and mortar here and 1379 Springfield Avenue in Irvington. So I've been at Irvington for many, many years. We moved in 1979. I just like to be community ride. I'm the community guy. I was the block association president. I would help out with the uh, politicians. I would do cleanups and things like that. So that is my contribution to the community. I just love helping out the community. I donate food to the senior citizens. I donate food to the police department and things like that. So I love what I'm doing. What we started doing when this YouTube and Facebook started coming up, I said, well, let me just show people how to cook some things. And I started to do a video uh, cooking class and it was a bunch of fun. We call it Spice Talk Tuesdays. Every Tuesday we would come on screen and I would just make some dishes that I just felt like making. And it wasn't anything that anybody else made before. I was just throwing some ingredients together and we were having fun and I was making food and people loved it. So we had the special spices that we had and the spices were it's a 10 spice blend that we were using for everything. And people would say, hey, where can we get some of that spice from you? And I said, oh, you can just come by the shop and pick it up. And people would come by and just say, hey, I don't want anything to eat. I just want that spice that you use. So we said, hey, we got something here. Let's start bottling it and started selling it. And we started to make these spices just off the cuff, just saying, hey, let's you want to buy some spices? We can sell them. And now we started to sell them online. And that started to be a lot fun. People still say, oh, really, really like the spices. So we started to kind of market it. We don't really sell a lot. Our biggest thing is the catering. So eventually I joined the Chamber <laughs> of Commerce and that was something that I think they were just antiquated. Right now we know that the Chamber of Commerce, people don't believe in it. They just feel like there's no value in it. And I felt that it was because you can network with a lot of people. So I decided to run for the president of the Chamber of Commerce. And it really wasn't the something to run for. It was just a procession. Like you would be the vice president, then you would become the president. And so for, with me, we started to make some changes the Chamber of Commerce so we could help out the businesses as we do. Like a lot of times they didn't have any kind of a website uh, presence, anything like that. So we changed a lot of things like that. And we started to help out businesses. This is my first year in Chamber of Commerce and I'm proud of it because I like to help businesses and to help businesses grow. I would like to be the person that has a really nice position, well, a place and a location where people can go and have a great time. We also want to sell our spices because I think that we could really grow our business through the spices. That'll give us some name recognition. And we also are putting together our macaroni and cheese cups. We make it in a different way. That's why we came to Gearheart so we can kind of have those things patented so that we can be the only ones that can make these macaroni cheese cups. And they are delicious. So we did have Rutgers the school presented us with how we can sell it, how we can offer it, how we can be profitable with it. They did a great job. So we feel like we can now make these dishes, package them, and then sell them in stores. That's the goal that we have for that. Oh, I'm looking for that. Me too. I love macaroni and cheese, and I am a macaroni and cheese connoisseur. And you will love it. You can go to our store too. We do have a store, shopchefrosco.com, and you can just buy 
uh, macaroni and cheese, but we're not able to ship it throughout the country as a right. guest. But you can come and we can deliver it to you and we can have you come pick up at the shop too. So Definitely. I said that this was going to make me hungry. My stomach is growling, but what's the best place for people to find you? you can go to chefroscoe.com. That's C-H-E-F-R-O-S-C-O-E.com. Or if you want to buy some stuff, you can go to shopchefroscoe.com. That's S-H-O-P-C-H-E-F-R-O-S-C-O-E.com. Excellent. Thank you, Chef Roscoe. You're listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trade trademark and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. With Kenya Gibson sitting in for Richard Gearhart, we had an incredible guest, Tel Gannison. And right now we are to the part of our show where we do a little bit, kind of get to know you. So I'm going to ask Tel first. Tel, what is your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? The favorite part is enjoying the freedom and flexibility, Elizabeth, because I get to do whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And to me, that is the ultimate freedom that is so priceless. And that's what keeps me going. And that's why I keep pursuing entrepreneurship. Excellent. Susan. I mean, he took the words right out of my mouth. I'm in (laughs) charge of my own destiny. I'm in charge of my own calendar. I don't have to answer to anyone, of course, to my clients, but they're very important people. (laughs) I'm with you, Tal. I'm with you. I can do whatever I want, whatever I want. Obviously, we spend a lot of time doing what we're supposed to be doing, but I just love not having to answer to anyone except my clients. Fantastic. And what about you, Roscoe? For me, yes, it's all those things are the same. But for me, I like the challenge. I also like the risk taking. It just does something to me when someone says, can you cater 430 people? And I'm like, I'm going to take on that challenge. When someone says, can you make a dish that my mom had made? I'm like, yes, I like the challenge. And as far as the other thing too, that I like about being an entrepreneur, other than being your own boss and running your own business and things like that, is that I like to help people as much as I can. So when I bring in people, I tell them from the beginning, I am going to be your help. I'm going to help you grow this business. Meaning that if you come in here and you do the work the right way, we can all grow. We can all be lifted up. But so many times, some people forget that. We love to have fun here at the shop. We love to crack jokes. We love that culture, what Tell was talking about earlier. But at the same time, if you're not doing the work, and we have like nine principles here too, but if we don't do the work, we have to let you go because we only want to have superstars in here. So that's what I like about being an entrepreneur. Excellent. What about you, Kenya? I mean, I like to build stuff. I think my favorite part of being entrepreneur is just building new things. And, you know, I like the building process of things coming into fruition. So it is time for me to go through everybody's websites. Tell Gannison 
was our guest at T-E-L-K-G-A-N-E-S-A-N.com, telganison.com or kyba.com, K-Y-Y-B-A.com. Tal was just amazing. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's got an incredible amount of knowledge, not just knowledge about business, but knowledge about how the world works and how people are. I think that's really helped him be successful. And then we had Susan Asher, S-U-S-A-N-A-S-C-H-E-R.com, SusanAsher.com. She's a leadership coach. She really brings in the emotional quotient to people. It's unbelievable how important that truly is. And she is taking clients now. So reach out to her if you need some help with that. Like I think most of us do. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had Chef Roscoe, C-H-E-F-R-O-S-C-O-E.com. Chef Roscoe is in Irvington, but you can buy his spices online, which everybody raves about. He does catering. He's got a little cafe. He does any kind of food. And from what I hear, his food is incredibly amazing. So I do want to ask before we go, I want to ask Tal for final thoughts on the show. The show was great. I mean, we had, you know, several entrepreneurs from a different uh, walk of business, one from a restaurant, other from, uh, you know, coaching. Uh, It was wonderful. And I enjoyed the time and I learned a few things from the show myself. Uh, One is to you know, keep challenging, keep going for 450 people, 600 people. <laughs> and then uh, from uh, Susan, I said, I got to start saying no to a lot of people. She just said, no, no. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. Kenya, your final thoughts? I mean, I thought it was a great conversation. It always is. And I love the fact that all the presenters always compliment the core interviewer that we have on or interviewee that we have on the show. So I felt that Tal just contributed so much insight in how to, you know, grow a business, manage a business. And I love what Susan had to say about leadership. And if you want to hire Susan to learn how to tell, you no and come in and call the baby (laughs) ugly, because sometimes we need to have, we need to learn how to do that. Right. That's what you want to hire Susan for. And, you know, I, I love what Roscoe is doing with his business. I mean, it was very inspirational to hear that, how God sustained you during the the pandemic, really a manna from heaven story. So I was really inspired by that entrepreneurship, innovation, and inspiration. And I felt it all just kind of gelled together nicely. And I was happy to be a part of it. Before we finally wrap up, I would like to thank everybody who helps us with the show. So thank you, Kenya, for sitting in for Richard today. I'd like to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman, who makes us sound much better than we thought we did. And I'd like to thank Alicia Morrissey, who is our show coordinator. We couldn't do it without her. And Mark Wilson, who has helped us get syndicated. So as you know, we're on 30 stations across the country. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Passage to Profit Show. And if you want to see all these great looking people, go look at our YouTube channel because this is on YouTube too. So signing off for Passage to Profit, this is Elizabeth Gearhart, Kenya Gibson sitting in for Richard, and we'll see you next week. Mm